BeastNet is brought to you by James Safety Services and in partnership with Beast OCR. Here we discuss all things OCR and fitness related, running, endurance, conditioning, wrecking, and more. Welcome to BeastNet. Hey everybody, it's Mike from BeastNet here, and on this episode I have with me Zach Paven from More Heart Than Scars. Um, Zach, how are you doing? Doing great. I mean, I'm a little bit sore from the Beast weekend in, uh, in, tri- in Tryon, North Carolina. Uh, it, it, the pun's going to happen. It was a trying experience. I mean, it's going to happen. The, ba- the yeah, bad puns will take place. <laughs> That's good. I like bad puns. It was a beautiful so. venue. It was a beautiful venue. It's just that uh, I think they were trying to, I mean, Garfield, I, I met with him after. I talked to him before, and then I met with him after he's the race director for it, and you know, they were really trying to take advantage of this new venue, which is a beautiful place. Uh, and, you know, to make it challenging, I mean, it's an ultra beast. For, you know, you got to get some altitude in there. And uh, the yeah. area isn't as challenging as they say going back years back to the, uh, the the dirt bike park that was in South Carolina, where there's been a lot of the beasts in the past. Uh, so it's not as challenging yeah. as that place. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's on par with, like, Spartanburg, uh, sort of, the terrain, but I think they're really trying to, uh, you know, knock it out of the park and really show how uh, beautiful this place was and, and really get a challenging deal out of it. And had it not rained, like, from the God's eyes directly, I mean, it was, it was like, <laughs> biblical. <laughs> and then the started to run with mud. Sections of hills just sloughed, sloughed, is that a word? There was sloughing. Yeah, the sloughing of the uh, the terra firma was not firm at all, and it made it uh, pretty impossible. Oh yeah, I'm from Seattle, so I, I've seen hills slough, like literally. So I, mean, I know what you're talking yeah, about. So I mean, we had the yeah, and I saw a video of this, and I, yeah, I was I saw a video of North Carolina, and I I've done Seattle every year because that's where I'm from, and I mean like. Two years ago, there's video of a guy swimming through the barbed wire crawl. There was that much rain. And I still think mm-hmm. the videos I saw from North Carolina, I'm like, I think that might be worse than Seattle was. So <laughs> it, it was something, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm 50 years old. And my first uh, professional serious job was being a wilderness instructor for Outward Bound. So I have experienced weather in a variety of places on a couple different continents. And that was a special kind of horrible I, I oh, yeah. think it's because the humidity is so high that even the the the, uh, the temperature itself was like 40s, but it was a, it was a wet 40, but without one drop of rain. It just was like kind of like gets you cold in your bones. And then yep. the sideways rain for 14 hours did something to your soul. Yeah, I, I can see that. That does not. <laughs> It's one of those things that we we have this argument every year after the Seattle the Seattle races in April is whether or not Spartan needs to move them because it becomes a hazard because it is so cold. And I've always right. been of the the school of that's that's one of the obstacles. You know, mm-hmm. that becomes an mm-hmm. obstacle trying to figure out how how am I going to train and be ready? What gear am I going to wear so that I don't get hypothermia? You know, right. I mean, I'm a bigger guy, so I have I have the blubber, you know, to help me get through it. Yes. But, you know, it, it, it's, you know, and then I, other people are like, no, it's a it's a it's a hazard. I'm like, yeah, it's, so there's always an argument after that of, you know, I'm like, it's more of an obstacle. It's an obstacle. I think it just it makes us grow because you think about it. You're like, OK, this sucked. How can I? How can I do this next year without, the, you know, get through this? So, well, I think the yeah. experiences are great. I mean, we've done 80 
some odd event with wheelchair athletes or adaptive athletes in one way or another, whether it was local races or Tough Mudder, but the majority of them mm-hmm. have all been Spartans. And this is the first time we ever did not finish with an adaptive athlete. And that was a blow, but it was great. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that it happened in the place that it did. The team of people we have around. So uh, More Heart Than Scars is a nonprofit charity that started in response to the Boston bombing. I was just laying around. Like, when, when the uh, 9-11 happened, I laid around a lot. I watched with Blitzer say, you know, sad things. And watched how they changed the whole news feed situation where they would just scroll things at the bottom of, like, missing people or different things. Like, it started complicating the news. And the news has never yeah. been the same, the same since 9-11. And then, you know, know, here comes the Boston bombing, and it's the same sort of pattern. And I went to school in New Hampshire at Franklin Pierce University. Uh, Back then it was just Franklin Pierce College because I'm not what the ancient Egyptians refer to as a scholar. Uh, (laughs) I just got in there. And uh, so I I, I spent a lot of time in Boston. I went went to a lot of shows, went to a lot of music, hung out, and and, uh, right near Harvard and had a lot of good food and played a lot of chess with people and, just enjoyed the scene, and one of my bucket lists was to run the Boston Marathon. And to see that yeah. bomb go off in the middle of the pack of the people that were, you know, not the greatest runners mm-hmm. out there, the ones that really tried to make it, and, and, and it's just so, so demoralizing, you know. Yeah. And I found myself on the couch, like somehow me watching the news was going to change the outcome of the news. And <laughs> yeah. I, had to, I had to step away. I mean, uh, the Silver Lining uh, Playbook, I think that's what it's called. Uh, the, the film about the, the father and the son. The, the son has some mental health issues, and the father also has mm-hmm. some OCD stuff related to his, the son's ability to sit next to him for the for the Eagles. Like, you know, wear the jersey, hold this hold this uh, remote control, hold that, you know. Like, doing all these things, like, somehow or other, they're going to, out you know, change the outcome of the game. I think yeah. some of, many of us would watch the news after these horrors, like, somehow or other, if we just get the right, you know, go between CNN and uh, MSNBC and then this is the radio, so just, you know, NPR or, you know, British News or whatever it may be. Like, if you switch enough channels and you are glued enough in that somehow or other it's going to make sense or be less horrible. And Yeah, and it unfortunately doesn't. <laughs> yeah. doesn't do anything. I did not do one thing. No. I could yell, no. I could cry, I could fuss, I could curl up a little ball. I could try to read the ticker tape stuff across the top and the bottom. Um, I could shush the kids around me. Like, that was going to change something. Like, shush, this is important news. And there is nothing to be done. And that's where I decided to start this charity, which was just to start a, a, a Facebook page. You know, I was born in 1969, yeah. so I'm, I'm generation next. I'm not a boomer. Uh, so I, I, you know, I can program a VCR. And I, I challenge any millennial to that task. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> a, no, I agree with that. Get a seventy-five pound machine, feed <laughs> the tape in there, you know, find the television schedule, land it up. It's like it's like the moon landing where you have to have the, the orbiter yeah. hitting the you know the lander when you try to like line up the the television schedule with your recording and getting that done. That was that was something special, but I was still challenged to make. And it you, always I I, you always miss. You always miss like two minutes, like the end of the thing. All of a sudden, the tape would stop, and you're like, "Who, who, who died? What happened?" Right. You'd never know. That's right. Yeah. And there was no way to Google that. There's no way to get on some you know, general complaint thing. I mean, I can't, you know, now we're like yeah. thinking, watching television, like a live sport. The people have their ongoing, you know, updates as they're watching it. You know, you're like, "Oh, come mm-hmm. on." 
So yeah, that's, no. where, that's really began. As I started this idea was I was going to reach out to people that have been injured and find a way to somehow or other say you can still do things despite of an amputation. That was, it was kind of a loose idea. Um, yeah. And just prior to that, we'd done, uh, so that, that was on the 15th of 2013 on April 15th of the Boston bombing happened, launched the Facebook page. I think mm-hmm. Facebook has my date for the 29th of April, 2013. Um, back in October 27th of 2012, my friend Billy, who's a, a military veteran, who's, he lost his leg. He and I uh, created a team called Nubs and Stubs to do Tough Mudder. And on our T-shirt mm-hmm. it says Team Nubs and Stubs has more heart than scars. So that's that's what we're going for. And uh, so when I was out there uh, doing that Tough Mudder, that, I mean that was a great experience. As Sean Corvell was the was the speaker, was the, was the MC. You know, I'd heard his mm-hmm. I heard his voice on the YouTube things. I saw that he's like, this is going to be great. And, when we came up to uh, have Billy go up, you know, we was, this is new at the game. There weren't a lot of amputees running it at that point. And we made a pyramid to get up the, uh, the wall. What it, what it used to be called uh, the used to be called Everest or something. Yeah, the Everest one yeah. version. And we made a little pyramid and worked it out for, you know, for Billy to get up there. And he did, you know, he was amazing. And uh, Sean Carvel yelled out, you know, team nubs and stubs because he was actually at the wall, you know. And it, that stuck in his mind. It's kind of a fun name. And our T-shirt had the perfect man from Da uh, Vinci. But, yeah, you know, that Leonardo Da Vinci. Arms and legs right yeah, well, so Billy uh, is kind of a, is a pretty good graphic artist. So he lopped the leg off and, uh, <laughs> and took a hand or something. You know, uh, the back of our T-shirt says that, you know, we've all been through, we listed everything, and it, from, from hemorrhoids to uh, agoraphobia, to depression, to anxiety, to lost, you know, loved ones, lost children, lost limbs, you know, all these different things. That, so what's, you know, what's 10 miles and 25 obstacles, you know? Uh, yeah. So then fast forward to April, the weekend before the Boston bombing, uh, I'm out there with uh, Wendy. Wendy uh, uh, is the person I co-founded the charity with. Uh, we're no longer married, but we're really good friends and, and, and doing well. We're just figuring out how we're going to do Thanksgiving together. I mean, we're at that kind of, we're much better yeah. friends than we were husband and wives. <laughs> we're like, I, I, I sit back and look at it and you're like, wow, we're doing pretty well here. But uh, back then we were married and she said to me, if you want to run on with your friends, we have a small team this time. The first time we did it, we had like 20 people. The second time around, we had like yeah. four of us. And she goes, you can run off with your friends. I didn't go fast because back then I used to be fitter than her. That is not true anymore. She is a beast. So um, I, was, I was like, oh, this feels like a trick. It feels like a trick. And I was like, oh, I almost took off. I'm like, I better stick it out. And, you know, I'm glad for our friendship and co-parenting and running the charity that I did stick it out. In, in my mind, I thought if I went faster, I'd get to meet Sean Corbell, and he and I would become friends. He'd notice me out of all the 5,000 people. You know, these are the ridiculous oh, yeah. fantasies in my head, right? We were going to be buddies. Oh, I got him too. I know what you're talking so, about. Yeah. Um, Oh, that was going to happen. So we're going along, and we're moving not, not very quickly. And it's just, we weren't going very quick. We ran into a bunch of women and warrior guys. And I'm looking at their gear going, man, this sucks. Because you know, my background was wilderness instructor guy, search and rescue, did a lot of rock climbing, mountain biking. I was, I was a decent rock climber. I was a decent mountain biker. I mean, I wasn't amazing at anything. But my brain's a pretty creative problem solver. And I'm looking at some of these pieces of equipment or things that they're using to get through this. And I was like, this is terrible. You know, like if we, if I yeah. came across somebody in the woods in this situation, I'd be like, nah. 
So ended up going with those guys and ended up helping uh, clean off one of the, one guy's lost his leg. And he was a military guy who lost his leg when he got home. And he was just like, I hate it when people say thank you for your service, even though I served the country, but they think I lost my leg because of the war. I'm like, I don't give a shit why you lost your leg. I'm just, you can you even wash it off. Looks like it's not going to work very well. And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. He says, well, it's really expensive. I go, I get it. You know, I don't know what it's like to lose a leg, but, you know, I, I don't have the ends of my fingers. And I showed him my hands and he's like, oh, okay. So you, you got a little bit of an idea. I'm like, yeah, I got a little idea. And I'm stepping outside, guy. Friends, dogs having a heart a moment. Well, you have to hear the barking. <laughs> so uh, I went and uh, cleaned his leg. I mean, so while, while I'm rinsing the guy's leg off, uh, I hear this booming voice behind me saying, do you mind if you shower me off? And there's Sean Corvell uh, in the shower. You know, I, somebody threw him in the mud puddle at the end. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big bearded dude. And I turn around and I yeah. hose Sean off. And he, he hosed me off. And my friend took a picture of the two of us together. We had a little conversation. And uh, he remembered the team name. And so after the bombing happened and I'm sitting at home, I had this crazy idea that I'd, I'd message him, and I, and I did. And he remembered me. I said, we, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm the, I'm the honky you took a shower with. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, I remember. And he, so he gave me his phone number, and I call him up, and we're both just kind of processing it and finding out. You know, we actually had a lot of things in common, and uh, my dad worked for Disney for a long time and then went on to directing stuff. So I have a pretty show-busy family. And we just, you know, we made a connection. We were really just sort of processing what happened. And he was talking about the shirt. He goes, you know, you really should call yourselves is more hearts than scars. You know, that's, that's the name on there. Team Dubs and Stubs is too much for new amputees. But this more hearts than scars idea, those are some powerful words. And yeah. uh, he, he introduced it to me some folks. And I, I started looking online to anything that I thought was uh, inspirational or cool. I just I just dug into everything Spartan, everything more, everything uh, Seth Mutter, uh, everything Facebook. Yeah, I went from 200 Facebook friends to like a couple thousand. I just you know, I just became a Facebook whore. <laughs> you know, each day wow. I, would, I would anybody that looked like they were doing something outdoorsy, I would friend request them. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you just keep hitting that button until it says you've asked too many people. And go, but I'm desperate. <laughs> <laughs> but I need but I need recognition. Well, yeah. I need I need more Facebook friends. I need this. Um, so with that, and, and in that, I ended up seeing a picture of uh, Stephen Bones is a guy that uh, was a who was a detective and a and a EMT working in, in New York when the Boston I'm not the Boston when 9/11 happened. And he since then he's grown this ginormous beard and he's this crazy guy. And he was pulling a, a wheelchair athlete named Michael Mills at a death race, and they just had parachute cord wrapped around the front of the wheelchair, up around to his waist, and I'm looking at that going, that looks like a horrible idea. I mean, other people are watching going, that's so inspiring. I'm like, I can do better than that. <laughs> you know, I know not. Yeah. Um, I need to meet those guys, you know. And so it just began this process that really is un- unrepeatable now, I think, with the Facebook algorithms the way they are. Some of the images and things we put up initially got so much attention and and people were more open-minded, and this small community that I got introduced and connected to people in a way that was um, kind of it's just it's it's impossible, really. If you were to sit down and say, "Hey, I want you to start a, a, a nonprofit with a guy that knows nothing about the internet, uh, no knowledge of social media whatsoever," uh, let's make him dyslexic so he's going to post things wrong, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Let's go with no fingertips, so there's a lot of mistakes anyway. 
yeah. then let's make him ballsy enough to post stuff, even if it's wrong, and just do it anyway. Uh, no, don't have a mission statement. Don't have a plan. Don't have a, a clear graphic. Let them just design that themselves um, and just kind of haphazardly go with no funding source and no real planning and have that last for seven years. I mean, <laughs> it's like we, we shouldn't have made it. And I've watched other, I've watched other things like uh, Super Mario Scramble fail. Thing after thing, it's failed all around us. And uh, we keep getting back up again. I think in a lot of ways, though, it's not just like what you described. I mean, there is that, that aspect of it, but it's also the aspect of what you're doing is, I think, right. you know, not to sound bad, people are willing to look past the, the messed up, you know, the, the, the crazy posts and stuff like that. Trust me, I've been told multiple times to calm down my posts. So, but, <laughs> you know, the, the, the posts and all that stuff and people are like, okay, right. you know, the guy's a little bit out there. He's a, he's edgy. He's not great with computers, right. but his message and what, what he's trying to do, that's amazing. So that's why, you know, I'm going to look past everything else and I'm going to help these people. So, I mean, that's a, your message. And I mean, everything you guys are trying to do is amazing. So, yeah. Well, it, yeah. it's really been, it's, it's been the grace of God. I don't know how to describe it any other way. I mean, I, I know that this, I'm, this is not happening because of me. I know that for sure. I mean, I, there's, too, there's been too many circumstances that have lined up in ways that are, um, it, it's, it's, you know, it just can't be luck. I, I, maybe that's just how the universe yeah. works or what happens. Maybe it's the counterbalance to it. But in spite of me, uh, this thing continues to push forward. In spite of my fear of, like, you know, sending back emails or, or, or checking stuff, because I'm afraid, oh, I'm not going to look great if I don't spell that correctly or... You know, some of the timeliness of trying to, sometimes I'm so tired from just running the event for the weekend and working other jobs or part-time jobs or other things to keep the charity going. I'm sure there's opportunities that I've missed or things that I should have followed up on to get us further along to be more professional. But in spite of my errors, even Wendy and I getting divorced, going throughout all of this, um, you know, some members staying, some members moving on, different things, athletes changing out, in spite of all of it, it continues to grow in meaningful ways, which lets me know that the idea is much bigger than I am or any one of our individual adaptive athletes. And I think that's what's important is that the idea has to be uh, visceral. It has to, it has to hit you in the gut. And when you see one of, we see us go through a, a race, people, the, the, the people watching it have that thing. And, and I had that experience the very first time we ever helped somebody, a little kid named little Tommy Mills. I saw an image of a guy where I was, you know, trying to figure out how to start this. And so I was looking through uh, some Tough Mudder pictures. I saw a bald guy dressed as Superman in a really tight outfit that was, like, too tight. And uh, and he was reaching out underneath the uh, – remember that electric eel thing? And I remember that obstacle was, like, an electrified yeah. water thing. I mean, the Tough Mudder is just <laughs> – they're crazy. But I love them. This guy, oh, that, that was a horrible obstacle. And so this guy is bending down, and he's got his, you know, his mechanical legs spread out, and he's reaching his hand to pull somebody through. And I thought, hey, I'm going to find that guy. And so I, I, I just put a thing out there, hey, who is that? And somebody responded, you know, back when people weren't trolls, back when people talked to each other yeah. on Facebook. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so I got his information. I got a hold of him. I said, well, what are you doing? He's like, I found this kid. He's got cerebral palsy. His name's uh, last name's Mills, like mine. No relation. And we're going to do a superhero scramble and we're going to take him through. And he was, you know, an interesting fellow. He's uh, that guy has kind of moved on from the sport for good reason. But back then he introduced me and I was really grateful that he did. And, and in the conversation, I was like, so what's your plan for the wheelchair? 
And he didn't really have much of a plan for that. I'm like, well, what's your plan to keep him dry? Because he has a feeding tube. And he didn't have much of a plan for that. I'm like, what's your plan for the higher obstacles, you know, for... He said, we'll just use a carabiner. I'm like, okay, you're killing me here. Uh, you don't just use a carabiner. You know, here's <laughs> my mountain guiding. <laughs> you just can't just use a carabiner. There's, there's more to it than that. And so yeah. uh, he basically backhandedly gave me all the logistical responsibilities and he wore the costume and ran, ran around, you know, I was like, all right, cool. Brought a whole bunch of people in. And, you know, now that I've been doing this for years, am I allowed to say bad words? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a cluster. I mean, these were a bunch of hungover people coming up that were, you know, were drinking, had no business being out on a course. They just wanted to be in the camera. They wanted to just hobnob and just goof off and, and, and hey, look at me, we're helping this kid. And uh, yeah. I was like, this is ridiculous. So I, I got I got focused on meeting the parents and building a relationship with them. I uh, was able to rebuild this wheelchair. I went to a bike shop called First Flight in Statesville. A guy named Jeff Archer walked into the shop and said, hey, uh, tomorrow a quickie light wheelchair is going to come in, and it's not congruent with any of your parts or any of the things you have uh it doesn't doesn't cross over well between mountain bikes and road bikes and so what i want you to do is to tear the thing apart with me redesign it rebuild it make it doable for the mud make it be able to be stand up lay on its back and also be able to lift it up vertically and pulled in four different directions uh we need to attach a crossbow to it a lightsaber and maybe a, a repair droid and uh this kid loves star wars and I, he's like, well, when do you oh, yeah. need this done? I go, like, in three or four days. They go, what's your budget? I go, absolutely. I'm going to pay you absolutely zero dollars, and I want you to stay up nights to work on it. And he looks at me and goes, you had me at hello. <laughs> yeah, <that was> <laughs> so we yeah. all got together and just rebuilt that thing. I went, I went to a Walmart and uh, said, this is a kid. He loves Star Wars. They gave me the best that the employees, not Walmart, the Walmart employees, put this up on their board and said, this is what's going on. I didn't know any better. I just walked right in and said, this is what we need. And we got the best lightsaber. We got a uh, mechanical squirt gun that had, like, uh, blaster noises. And his hands, you know, don't work very well because of this level of cerebral palsy, but I created mm-hmm. uh, things that he could grab onto to pull. And so there's a crossbow underneath the wheelchair seat that had a Nerf dart. And so when someone would get in front of them and say, oh, you're so inspirational, Tommy, he could pull one and just hit him right in the nuts. That was... That was absolutely wonderful. And then as they're, like, shocked by that, then he pulls the other one's water can and shoots him in the face. And he thought that was the coolest thing ever. As he leaned back and forth, he'd make his lightsaber make good noises. And we thought that was, you know, the most important part of the deal. Uh, that is so awesome. All these people were coming up. So even the new, he didn't even get it to the news reporter. I, was, I had to stop him from squirting the news camera. I'm like, hold on. So we had all these people around doing stuff, and at the very beginning of it all, I got a hold of uh, uh, Sean Ace O'Connor. He was the guy who was running uh, Superior Scramble at the time, and I was like, hey, they had this huge slide. I don't know if you remember back in the day, they had these, like, death trap slides. They're, like, 40, 50 feet tall, mm-hmm. just, you know, plywood slapped together with, like, a string of water over a tarp into a mud hole. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of those. Perfectly safe. So totally I got, legit. I got it. Yeah. There and, and I think I, I was going to practice and just rappel down this thing to see how it would work to take Tommy down in case we get there. Uh, the, 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 the people were too too hungover, not focused enough, trying to like do all the stupid sayings and costumey things and like try to do every obstacle and say inspirational things. Like, what are you, 
the kid's getting too hot. He needs to eat. He needs to move on. So we kind of broke away, and we decided that, you know what, this wasn't working. We can't possibly get it all done because it was at that ATV park in South Carolina. It was just too treacherous, mm-hmm. and Superhero Scramble was trying so hard to be as badass or more badass than Spartan. So they were running up and down some things that were just really nuts. But so I talked to you know to Tommy's mom. I said, Laura, do you think we could just go back to the very start and just finish off with the repel, so he could have that moment? That's the coolest obstacle, and it's in the finish. And here's my plan. And she said, Yeah. So we got him up to the top of the deal. And I, I, ironically, the guy named uh, Thomas Mills was dressed as Superman with his leg out there. Uh, I had a harness on Tommy, and and one on him, and and I had a carabiner. Had to use a carabiner to lock those two together. And then my back is to the, the adult, and we're tied in together. And so I'm repelling backwards down the slide. You know, if we've, if we've taken off and flown in there, the contamination for his feeding tube would have been terrible in that mud. Um, yeah. The, the speed, because he, he had a really serious seizure condition on top of the cerebral palsy that could, um, you know, they didn't think he was going to live past the age of 10 as it was. So that kind of impact would be terrible. So it was the most careful repel I've ever done in my life. Uh, the lower is down. And as we're going past the steepest point, I could feel Tommy start to giggle and laugh and laugh at this other guy's body. And I could hear the crowd responding. And there was this just this moment where, even that's a complicated thing to describe, in the seeing of it, it changed people right then and there. And the pictures of it were the joy in, on his face. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the greatest friends with the guy who was the, the Superman thing because he ended up, I think going about things in ways that weren't that weren't good for for himself and the sport or for other amputees, and that, those are his demons to slay. Yeah. But in that moment, it was pure, and and that's where I'm like that that's what we need to do more of, and and that's every everything comes back to that. It's like these holy moments that take place out there in the mud where you really can't tell the difference between heaven and earth. But there's just these these moments that transpire. That are changing, and so Matt Matthew Davis was there, and he took a picture of me, and he goes, "You should do something about those nubs." And I was embarrassed about my fingers. He had me make a little heart signal with my hands, took a picture, and said, "Is this one? Is this guy one of the new, more inspirational guys for you know for whatever for the obstacle course racing?" Yeah. And who? I mean, that was that was 2013, and uh, with that with the expression, we've come a long way, baby. It's a, yeah. a lot has happened from. And see. That's amazing, because the one thing that I I really get from that story is you get the people that you were talking about, the big group of people that were more worried about getting their picture and getting all that stuff, when it's not about that, and it's never about that. It's not about your glory. It's about the glory of that person who normally would not have been able to do this. It's about the joy and the amazing feeling that that person's going to get when they finish. So, yeah, no, I, yeah. So, and what it does for the parents, yeah. what it does for the parents, so they get to see it. I mean, whether it's a young adult or or an older adult doing it, other spouses or their kids seeing them, it, it just transforms. And so I'm, you know, I wasn't the best of these things, but it turns out that the combination of the horseback riding, the mountain biking, you know, literally a zack of all trades. You know, I, I seem like a kind of a, a all over the place uh, growing up. My interests, but it turned out yeah. that taking of each part of that really worked out well uh, in, in a way that has made it more accessible and That's turned awesome. into a team-building experience that now works for not just our uh, wheelchair athletes, but we, now we have kids on the autism spectrum helping us. So we, uh, we do team-building with CEOs and 
Let me tell you, taking some rocket scientist CEOs and some kids on the autism spectrum, there's not a lot of difference there. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, yeah. there's some disconnect, you know, but there's something that connects in that mud. We've reconnected to something sacred. And like we started the conversation, I think the mud and the cold and all the difficulties, those challenges is, is what makes it important and it is what makes it matter. So I, I don't want to dumb these things down and make them too safe. I think failure is no. part of it. Happens. Oh, it has to be. So there's no failure. There's uh, there's no challenge. I mean, there's no chance of failure. There's no there's no challenge. So, yeah. No, I think it's amazing because I we have some friends here who have a daughter who has uh, Dravet syndrome, which uh-huh. is an uh, I, I I'm horrible at remembering. I know it's epilepsy and some other some other issues that go along with it. But and that's one of the things they've really they did the Spartan Kids with her in a wheelchair, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and had a big group of people that helped her get them through them. And so seeing stuff like that is amazing to see. You know, a kid that normally would never have been able to do this, you know, but then you get enough people together and help them get through it. It's amazing to watch. So, yeah, what you do is is awesome. All right. And now we're going to take a quick pause so we can hear from our sponsors. Do you like challenges that are fun, tough and might use tacos? Head on over to BeastChallenge.com and check out our upcoming events, including Beast's 5K Plus, a combination of race and endurance event, and the Bucket Mile. Keep an eye on the Beast's OCR Facebook group for event gatherings. For more information, head on over to BeastChallenge.com and the Beast's OCR Facebook group. You'll be glad you did. Like what you hear? Make sure and subscribe and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're using YouTube, please click the little red subscribe icon, then click the little bell for notifications of future episodes. And if you could, give us a thumbs up. And we're back. Yeah, Jeff Archer, the guy who owns the the, the bike shop in the First Flight Bike Shop in Statesville, his son came on a race with me to help that kid. Uh, we went on and, and did a lot of preparing us to do more adventures with another athlete called John Powers, uh, who uh, was a cancer survivor at the time. Jeff Archer was uh, incredible in the community and spent his time to do that. But just a few years ago, Jeff was walking through Statesville, and he got hit by a drunk driver, and he died. Um, oh. Sean, uh, uh, Sean Ace O'Connor was uh, hit on a, on a moped thing, going uh, looking at the, the solar eclipse thing or whatever, just a little while back. Uh, John Powers, who uh, uh, Jeff Archer helps, you know, sponsor us to go do some races. Uh, we lost him to cancer just you know, a few years back. I mean, so there's there are these people that were a big part of what we were doing and encouraging it. You know that we've lost. Yeah. Uh, big hole. Uh, you know, John Powers said the last thing he was able to type out when they put the trach in for him to try to get his breathing under control because he got sick while he was going through chemo, while he was, had, uh, oh, cancer and I forget, a sarcoma. Yeah, terrible form of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's like one of the he, worst he, ones. He, he, I, yeah, and he typed out, enjoy every moment, especially the ones that aren't that enjoyable. And so if he and I were talking just before he, was, if he couldn't talk anymore, he was dying, this, uh, what he want the legacy of Four Hearts and Scars to be, that you know, he wanted to hike to be the first uh, hit this articulate to hike the entire Appalachian Trail. That means that his leg was amputated all the way up into his hip. Um, and at his funeral, I let his mom know that uh, we were going to hike the Appalachian Trail for him. I didn't know how we were going to do it, but we were going to, you know, take this medal that he earned at the Subaru Scramble Race, and we we're going to hike it for him. And uh, 
there happened to be a guy that I was working with at, at the, a place called Barium Springs at the time of the children's home. I found out that he was going to hike the trail, and I had to meet uh, John's mom and meet our team and see the videos and pictures and everything we're doing, and he decided to hike it in his honor. I mean, the, the, the things that have lined up along the way are, are – are, it's been grace and mercy – and, and just, it's been nothing short of, of mud miracles is what has happened for us. Yeah. And, and they're not in a way that's so big that maybe the whole world can pick up on, even though we've done some stuff like, you know, they sent me to Saudi Arabia to talk about autism, which is really cool. And, you know, Joe DeSantis sent me to Wales, and, you know, there's like a TEDx talk, and there's, there's some neat things that are out there. I mean, heck, we even made an outside magazine. So there's some cool, like, bragging rights, but that hasn't yet caught fire enough to help it make it financially solvent yet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it hasn't made it so that... You know, a lot of people get confused. Like, we're just a team, or they like, oh, this team, or that. Are you guys Southern Spartans? Are you 4.0? Or all these other like weird divisionary things. And I'm like, oh no, we're not just a team. We're a, we're an idea. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, well, I don't know if I want to say your team name because I like my team name. Like, no, 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 no. We're not a team name. We're an idea. That yeah. whether you're, you're you're struggling with suicidal ideation yourself or self harm, or you're overweight or underweight or you know, you just struggle to make it through the day. It, fighting that good fight is having more hearts and scars. We're acknowledging you've got both the visible and invisible wounds. And so in some ways, we've gotten so much bigger than I ever thought we would be, and it's reached out in ways that are just spectacular to me. In other ways, it's like, ooh, it's, it's, we, got, we still have such a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing easy. everything you're working on. I mean, oh, no. And, I mean, your, your message, more hearts than scars, is – Amazing. It's like you said, the, the suicide ideation and everything else. I'm on right. multiple groups and stuff like that. I'm on a, a panel for dealing with, because I'm a construction safety safety professional in my real life. Oh, you and, and uh, can out completely together. Oh, my God. Oh, we can. We can talk yeah, about we can. all kinds of hey. like, weight ratio carabiners and not. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we can. We'll talk 30. <laughs> yeah. But I'm on a couple of different panels for talking about, you know, dealing with suicide in construction because it's a huge issue in construction yeah. right now, you know, because a lot of construction people are ex-military, stuff like that. You know, they get hurt, all sorts of stuff. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of that. And, I mean, the more heart than scars is, I mean, it hits home for me because it's like that stuff that I'm in the middle of, you know, dealing yeah. with, you know, Different people were trying to de develop a training program to train supervisors and stuff like that to see the, the warning signs and how to deal with yeah. them. And, I mean, so there's a whole lot of, you know, that area along with, you know, what you're talking about, you know, also with the, you know, the amputees and the people that are hurt. I mean, it's everything that you're telling me about more hearts and scars makes me love it even more, and it's even more of a spectrum than I thought it was. So, I mean, it's it's yeah. amazing. So. I love what we you're doing, and like yeah, we definitely saying it and, and using an expression and bringing it up there. It's not like I, I want the idea to spread. I mean, here's the yeah. When I was a little guy, you know, I had my accident when I was ten. I lost my fingertips and a terrible accident. But you know, years later, I'm at some special cotillion dance. It's a big fancy dance where the I don't even know they do them anymore. It's, but the idea was the young ladies of you know upper middle class or wealthy families. They'd reach a certain age. They would dress them up and they would have this like, announcement to the community, like, she is a whatever, a debutante or some, yeah, yeah just archaic concept. But I had to learn how to waltz. You know, the whole idea was, like, you had to find a girl, ask her to dance, waltz with her, 
Don't step on our toes. Be polite. Keep your hands in this place. You know, polite conversation. When it's all over with, walk her back to the wall that you took her from and thank her for the dance. That was the training. We practiced that, practiced that. So I'm doing the dance with the girl. Everything's going great. And then she notices my hands because it's a very much hand-holdy type of, like, spin-around thing. And she just said, gross, and lets go and walks off. And I didn't have a plan for uh, have a, a beautiful girl crush her soul and what to do. And I, it, was like, it was like a horror film. Everyone was waltzing around me in this ballroom, and I just stood there until the thing was over. I, yeah. I, it was one of the, the more uh, soul-crushing moments of, of the amputation. Like, like who's going to want to hold my hands? Uh, who wants to be with me? Or am I, if I'm touching somebody, they're going to be grossed out by me. You know, all of that, you know, and it's just my worst fears. Yeah. So my hope is my daughter, and we just got a good report from her heart today. She has a, a bicuspid aortic valve disorder. It means that out of the aorta, the main part of the heart that pumps the blood that's been oxygenated to the rest of the body, is supposed to have three openings, like the, 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 like the Mercedes symbol. Hers has only mm-hmm. two. What that means is over time, if things don't go well or her body doesn't grow well with it, then it becomes... Uh, either get calcified or it can get it can get kind of sloppy and the blood can come back into her heart and make it harder for her working you know years and years ago people would get in their 40s or 30s and they just get tired or sometimes some kids kids would get more tired more sluggish more sluggish and they would die and they would open them up and find this out um sometimes yeah. nothing happens sometimes people go their whole life with like a heart valve disorder and nothing happens uh and then i've been in some other places where i've talked about it and a parent just starts crying uncontrollably and holding on to me saying i lost my kid that way i'm like oh okay let's not worry don't worry just watch your child if it seems to get sleepy all of a sudden you know let us know but don't worry let her do everything but you know don't worry but you know come back every year and you know get an ekg and, and get a sonogram and you know let's monitor everything so my thinking is, at some point, she might end up having to have a little tiny scar or a big scar from this. And you know, I can imagine her being out at a beach somewhere. She's twenty or you know seventeen, whatever this might go down. I, I didn't. I just wanted to create a safe space for this to happen. That she might be yeah. talking to a boy she really likes. She's got a little jumper cover thing over her bathing suit, and it's time to go swimming. And it's going to reveal this, this scar possibly that she might have. And mm-hmm. what I want him to do is to say to her, you're beautiful, you have more heart than scar. That's what I want. That's yeah. That if, if, if that girl had saw my hand, and, and this idea had been out there enough, and she looked at it, she held on to that, and she looked me in the face, even she was nervous, and she could say, hey, this makes me a little bit nervous, but I want to let you know how strong you are, that you've got more heart than scars, it's your hands, whatever, just, and just, and stayed with me. That would have, I mean, there's a, I, I don't know if I would have gone to his places in my life had that kind of intervention happened in that moment. Yeah. And it's one of those things people don't think about. Words hurt. I mean, they really do. Um, and the way they're used, I mean, it's one of those things in the, the suicide prevention, one of the big things that we talk about is the word commit. It's yeah. like, don't use it. Don't use the word commit. I mean, someone died by suicide. Someone, you know, whatever. It's like, you don't say someone committed cancer, you know. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those... It's the same thing. I mean, it changes. The second you say commit, it changes the whole thought process on it. And it's kind of like with your hand. It's like, you know, the second she says, oh, gross, then you're all of a sudden you're like, you weren't even thinking about that until she said it. And now that's all you can think about. It's oh, like, oh. It's all, it's all this, yeah, like it will. And who's going to want to hold my hands? And, and, and what will that be like? Yeah. And, and it's been a, been real, a, a, a thing that I, I kept my hands in my pockets, you know. 
um, I, I just did, and I and I didn't want to talk about it, and so like the nickname Nubs for me was really kind of a an over the top sort of thing because if when I was in high school, if someone would call me Nubs, I would thump them in the chest with my nubby finger. I mean, it was uh, it's yeah. not something I was comfortable with. I didn't want to talk about it. I wanted to do everything I could do to prove that I was able to do everything everybody else was, if not more so. Um, it's it's challenging. Yeah. There, there needs to be a reset. That on one hand we almost like set people up that they use the word trigger. The word trigger pisses me off if it isn't actually related yeah. to a significant trigger. Because more people are going to kill themselves. More men will kill themselves, that, like myself, that have real suicidal ideation that is haunting, mm-hmm. persistent, deadly, with plans that lay in my head. Like, I always got a couple ways to take myself out. I mean, I know too many knots and have access to too many things. Yeah. You know, it's there. And um, if I'm saying that I'm triggered by something or I need help with it, that means that I, I the idea of doing that is so pervasive that I just can't pray it alone by myself. The medication alone isn't helping. Just talking to one or two people isn't enough. My AA group or whatever, that's not, I, I need, I need some intervention. I need, I need some support. I might need you to sit beside me. You know, I might need you to come along, <laughs> but people use the word triggered in ways that are so minuscule that I, I, I feel like it's hard for me even to acknowledge when that goes on. Like, for me, when I get triggered, yeah. so I, there's some people that want safe spaces in general, and they they have an idea that's confrontational to them, and they get so upset. I mean, I, I know that some people are overreacting and that people aren't truly snowflakes, but I, I get on one hand we're saying they're snowflakes and they just can't handle anything. we got a safe space. We're, we're being mean to those people. Some of those kids that are going through that might very well kill themselves because of assholes that yeah. are, like, you know, trying to be so tough. But people just need to shut up and be more kind. So... Yes, be kind. Yes, maybe some people are overreacting and using those words. But when I'm triggered by a PTSD moment related to my hand, I'm usually ready to throw up and sweating mm-hmm. and pervasive memories of my amputation and what that looked and felt like that's interrupting my ability to be in the moment successfully. Uh, that yeah. doesn't happen often, but it does happen sometimes, especially if I'm seeing a specific trigger towards that. And so I, I don't want to be ashamed of that, and I want to be able to talk about it. So I don't know how to train the world to say, hey, how about using this word? This upsets me, or I don't like this, or I'm uncomfortable with. But when they, they take that yeah. word trigger, which means really antecedent behavior consequence, the antecedent is the trigger. The trigger might be a terrible memory of a horrific accident or loss in your life, and a behavior, a coping mechanism comes up, and one of those might be, suicidal ideation or suicidal behavior or using mm-hmm. alcohol and drugs to an extreme amount. And so you have the, the trigger, the antecedent, uh, the behavior, and then there's the consequence of the outcome of that, which is to maybe to delay the pain or separate yourself from it, but it might have a fatal outcome. And so that's where the, the word triggered was coming from. That It's like almost like pulling the trigger on a gun. It's like you're, you're, it's a yeah. thing that causes the action, and it's pretty serious. And now we've muted it or neutered that expression down to, you know, I didn't like that idea. Yeah. The second you don't agree with someone or something, you're like, okay, whatever, all of a sudden you're triggered. It's like, no, I'm not triggered. I'm trying to talk to you about it. And then it's like, yeah. then you're kind of, it sounds bad, but now I, I, I now you get triggered because someone used the word trigger and you're like, now you've completely, yeah. you know, taken this I word out of, you know. Triggered. God's sake. Yeah. You know, I, you know, 
<laughs> I'm trying it's like, not to uh, have shame around it. I'm trying not to have shame. I'm trying to be able to own my mental health issues and get support. But what a, what a lot of us do, a lot of us type A type guys do, and girls, mm-hmm. is we just swallow it hard. We don't want to make a bother because yep. every time I think about my problems, I think, well, I only lost my fingertips. It's not that big of a deal. I, yeah, I've been divorced you know, twice now, but there's people that have had it with me. Somebody loved me, at least I'm friends with them. Any problem I have, I will minimize, depress, and stuff, and bury so quickly. And then Because that's what we're taught you know, to do as men. Yeah. We're men. It's, we're it's not, not supposed a, to do that. We have, right. we have an emotion. We bury it. You bury it and you move on. <laughs> I read all these my friends like when they well my feelings are telling I don't trust my feelings. My feelings tell me to punch somebody in the face, go hook up with that girl, yes. jump off the bridge. My feelings are not the thing that I operate on. I go for principles, yep. measured thought. Is this a good idea or a bad idea? What are the positives of this behavior? What are the negatives? Like, you know, what's the what's the safety rating off this harness? How many how many, you know, how many yeah. pounds does it break at? You know, the fun thing that people, and, and, people like you and I know is that when you have a harness that's rated more than 7,000 pounds, it's overkill because the human body breaks in half at 2,500. Yeah. <laughs> so we're creating safety equipment that will literally rip through a human being before it fails. Yeah. A human will fail oh, yeah, before the harness does. <laughs> There's a few people I've had that conversation where they're like, this will handle this. When you're saying, when you fall, this is going to be the force that your body hits at. And they're like, oh, but the the harness will handle that. And I'm like, yeah, but your body won't. (laughs) So the harness is going to be great, but your bones and your innards are going to be mush. I mean. (laughs) Oh, there's one of the worst stories we ever had in that where Bally used to tell all the time about this. There was a guy that was stuck climbing and he was going to crack and they – they got a team up top, and uh, they, they lowered down another rope. They clipped into it, it was harness, and they tried to get, so they added uh, another Z-pulley, which is a mechanical invention, mm-hmm. two-to-one ratio, or sometimes a three-to-one, depending on how you set it up. And they put a couple more guys on it, and it wasn't happening. So they decided to add another one, and another one, and add more people, and it was stuck and wasn't working. So eventually, they got the whole squad on, and they, they over-engineered the shot of this thing, and all of a sudden, yep, up it came real easy. And what had come to the uh, the top of the cliff was just the harness. The, the knot was attached. It was tied through. The figure eight followed through with the safety was still intact. The harness was all together and buckled. Everything's fine. But it was completely covered in blood. What had happened was it actually cut up through the legs, severed them, broke each of the ribs, and decapitated it went through the whole human body. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's a horrible thing. <laughs> so those are the but the harness was still in place. The harness yeah. was fine. No, it trust me, yeah. Yeah, the harness. The harness was harness great, great, but these are the these are the nightmare visions I have in my head. Like that's why, like we have so much protective gear that we're like we're, we're practicing oh, yeah. different ways to, to maneuver some through. So you know, thank God we've had one shoulder scratch on a quadriplegic because someone was too excited pulling a backboard under a bob wire crawl. They got a little too overzealous, and we couldn't slow him down enough, and that Justin got a scratch on his shoulder. So oh, I'm glad that's it. That's it. Us pulling for the course before she was hypothermic. She was showing conditions of that. It did not look like we could improve it on its own. All the interventions we did, even the hot hand, heat factory stuff, wrapping her in blankets, covering up, using body heat, shielding the wind, shielding the rain, getting her moving more, 
uh, doing more adrenaline-based activities, the upper body support temperature. She couldn't recover, and so we called it. Yeah, which and, is, you have uh, to sometimes. Yeah. So we're going to go down to Florida in a you couple know, the, weeks, and we're going to go get her beast down this this way, and that way she'll get a single beast. She'll get a single trifecta. She wanted to get a double. But, I mean, for, you know, you, you met Erica. You talked to you, you interviewed her. For Erica to get a, a trifecta this year is incredible. Yeah, she oh, wanted yeah. to get a double, but okay. There's next year. There's next year. And the fact she's doing it at yeah. all is beautiful. Yeah. It just lifts your no. heart. It and opens it's... your heart up. And I mean, she's amazing. I mean, anyone anyone who's listening to this who hasn't listened to the Erica one needs to go back and listen to that one. Her story and her her oh, yeah. her mental ability. I mean, for most people, she's the only person. I mean, I've heard of it before, but she's the only person I've literally heard say it to me that me losing the use of my legs was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And I'm like, what? But you listen to yeah. her story and how it changed her mentally and the people around her and everything else. And it's like, right. wow. You know, I mean, her yeah. story is amazing. But and that's, rocks. yeah. Oh, she, she, she goes yeah. through a lot of the struggles. Her PTSD comes in. I mean, we both know when we're, we're triggered around each other. But, I mean, the love that she and I have for each other and the friendship, it's, it's just one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. And my whole life has been changed by Wheelers. It started out with my Michael Mills and Justin Falls. Uh, Erica, Shannon, I mean, it's just person after person that's been uh, directly in in my life that just shifted everything. Yeah. I'm so grateful that I I can stand up, uh, that I don't have to use a catheter to urinate, that I know when, generally know when I'm going to have a bowel movement. I mean, sometimes my my pancreatitis pancreatitis (laughs) makes that more of a challenge. If there's a little bit of PTSD in there with some irritable bowel syndrome, and pancreatitis, and, and and then being a fatty like I am who loves to eat food, boy, you know, yep. Taco Bell is like a well, like a wheel of death. <laughs> oh, it is. I, I pretty much got to that point with if I if I have Taco Bell, I pretty much just have to eat it sitting in the bathroom. So it's pretty much that way. The second it hits my belly, it's coming right back out the other side. <laughs> I'm relegated out to the van to have the conversation. I'm in my, my minivan. <laughs> Kicked out the minivan. I'm, so, I'm in the minivan. I'm so super sexy in the minivan here, you know. <laughs> I had one for a while, and then my kids, my kids got older, and I'm like, yeah, that's it. I'm buying, I'm buying a Cherokee. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that'd, be a, that'd be a great goal. I'm, I'm all for that one day. But presently, the minivan works great for wheelchairs, the belly yak, all the gear that I have. You know, I'm constantly hauling. See, the Cherokee almost has about that much. Cherokee almost has that much storage room as a, as a minivan, so just fold down the back seat. Yeah. You know, you're fine. There you go. Well, that, that's, that's something to work for. I'm going to need to get some more donations to the charity before I can reach to the, the Cherokee. The minivans keep me <laughs> humble and on point, you know? <laughs> there you go, and that's what it's about. You're old minivan, you know? Yeah. But I'm grateful for it. Oh, yeah. So I know you, you mentioned it a couple times. So your background is pretty much everywhere. You know, you said you were uh, a mountain mountain climber kind of trail trail guide kind of guy, did all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So all of that stuff, I mean, and it's really cool to listen and, and like talk to you about it because it seems like all of that stuff kind of led to where you're at because it's a piece. Oh, yeah. It seems like pieces of all of that help you in what you're doing. I mean, you know, putting the stuff together for, you know, knowing what, what you know, uh, 
what ropes to use, what carabiners, you know, what kind of, you know, all that kind of stuff to use for them. I mean, that's got to help in what you're doing. Oh, it's been tremendous. And so the years I did horseback riding and just getting exposed to those lead lines that you use to walk, you know, a horse, you know, back and forth. So the under, the under part of, a, of the saddle for a horse, I forget the name of it. It's basically a, a strap. It's a padded strap. The harness attached, mm-hmm. not the harness, but the, the saddle attached to. Uh, so I was looking at using climbing gear, and it just I just kept destroying the climbing gear. It just wasn't made for it. And the construction OSHA stuff was just too heavy, awkward, and it didn't do as well in those muddy conditions to, to get in, in and out for the uh, harness to step on, step out of. And so I ended up using that bottom part of the saddle uh, to connect, to go around the waist to help pull the wheelchair. It was padded. It's unbelievably strong. It's inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It's durable. It can handle hot and cold. I mean, I was using climbing ropes. When I started using horse lines from tractor supply to connect to the first person I'm probably called the horse pulling the wheelchair and, and attaching to the wheelchair. Those handle the, the thickness of that rope doesn't hurt your hand. And those big brass fittings for those clips, we're not generating enough force. Like when I started thinking about climbing force, like I need to make this bomb proof. I need to make this 5,000 pounds. You're thinking the OSHA, you know, it's got to be at least 2,000 yep. pounds for this or 1,500 for that or all these different clipped-in ratios and things you're looking at. Like, that was just too much. Yeah. But the stuff for horseback riding was great, and it didn't hurt your hand. And it was durable, and I could afford to replace it. In fact, a lot of times the people track your supply, a lot of the employees would just give me the stuff. They'd see me coming in and know what we're doing. I mean, I hooked up the first rig together at a tractor supply. <laughs> just like grabbing all nice. this different gear and uh, put somebody as a, and tied somebody to somebody else and go, okay, you're the wheelchair, you're the horse, you're this. And they're like, what? And then I came back and showed the video and they're like, oh my God. So your tractor supply is definitely one of the spots you have to come to go after because you've been using their gear for so many years now and set so many yeah. world, you know, Spartan records with it. And there we have it all. We have all that stuff there. And so, I, I hope somebody somebody's listening to somebody's like thinking, well, I might be, might be a rock climber, but maybe I'm a marketing guy, or maybe I'm a business guy with a business plan, or somebody, some man or woman that falls in love with this idea that could help me to get those connections to get the things we need to keep going. Does that make sense? Not everyone's called yeah. to somebody going over the wall that's paralyzed and make sure they're, they're safe and they're okay. Not everybody needs to do this full-time like I do for free. I don't, I'm not asking for everyone to be this committed. I mean, and I would love to get paid one day. That'd be great. You know, we're going into seven years. It'd be awesome if our charity had enough money, you know, to, to make this a full-time job. I, I'm hoping for that because that's the only way there's going to be the legacy of it to continue to last. I can't expect other people to work as hard as I have for free and for people to live beyond. It has to, you know, the Salvation Army is a good idea, but they get paid working there. The YMCA is a cool concept. Yeah. You know, people people get health insurance. You know, it's not that big. <laughs> no. You know, so I would like it to grow. No, to because that point. yeah, because I mean, if you're if you're getting if you're getting paid, then you can actually focus more time into it rather than you know having to have a day job to you know pay your bills. And fortunately, my day job at at, at the Black Mountain Academy now I'm really underemployed as far as my degree was in psychology. I've been working in mental health for a long time. I'm, I'm a qualified mental health professional. Uh, I just celebrated 31 years of recovery from alcohol and drugs. Uh, so nice. in the mental health field, I could get a higher-paying job than the most entry-level position at the School for Autism uh, that, you know, is paying me, you know, 25% of what I would normally get. 
doing things. You know, I, yeah. I get a private pay client, and then they're going to pay me three or five times as much. Uh, but it's hard with my time. Like, I'm always looking at my time. Like, I need to be prepping and getting things ready and having these phone calls. Being a dad, trying to take care of my own body, too. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a mixture. But it's yeah. worked out so well that Black Mountain Academy allows me to work with those students and take them through, through the option course races, and it's changed their school. They've been incredibly respectful to me. Uh, they've, they've created a schedule for me that I get all my work done in a couple of days. Uh, and so it's, it's a really nice marriage of things, but I don't have to have a lot of responsibility there. I can focus on giving them direct care, cooking the meals with the kids, helping them clean up, encouraging them to face challenges, building that relationship, going on fun adventures with them from inner tubing to hiking to training for the Spartan race. It's, it's been a really nice uh, connection. And it's, and they were very helpful to let me go to Saudi Arabia to talk about it. I mean, they, Gave me the time off to do that. So I think I'm really good for the school. The school's good for me. But for this to last for the long haul, for, you know, for, you know, 14 years from now, whoever the next CEO of this is going to be talking about it, uh, there, there has to be some things in place. There has to be some policies and procedures and some background things to keep it going because, yeah. yes, heart and love and grace and mir- muddy miracles have gotten us this far. But for us to endure longer, we're going to need policies, procedures, business plans, <laughs> you know, marketing directors. You know, I, I mean, for the longest time, I'd take a picture, a sort of selfie in the toilet going, I pooped before the race. I was so happy with us because if you have irritable bowel syndrome like I do, and chronic anxiety, you know, the biggest fear possible is having to poop during the race. <laughs> and a couple of years ago, they're like, you can't post about your pooping anymore. I'm like, there's so many people in the IBS community that love me, though. <laughs> There's a lot of us that get it. I mean, I get it. I've been on one of those. Like, I, I was in the middle of a marathon once. Well, it was a, a half marathon. And I was running it. And all of a sudden, you start getting that, like, that cramp in your belly. And you're like, yeah. oh. And lucky for me, it was like, there was a, you know, in the middle of a marathon, I found a porta potty. I'm like, woo. But, <laughs> oh, those yeah. are the best miracles That's ever one of when that happens. You're like, oh, yeah. I, I have that fear. Yeah. Yep. I have that fear that one day it's going to be like, you need to go now. <laughs> now. <laughs> it's going to happen now. Like it or not. You know, so a lot of yeah. what I do is bring baby wipes with me. <laughs> yep. The men. Oh, they're the best. The fantastic. Yeah. What a great invention. This is why I know we're living in the best century of humanity. The dude we have baby wipes. Yeah. <laughs> You can call them dude wipes. They're baby wipes. We know what they are. Baby wipes with the word dude on them. I mean, I'm convinced that a handful of moms and just a few baby wipes can clean up an oil spill. Uh, Oh, yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Wendy, when she would, you know, wipe down my my daughter Sully when she'd have an accident, she could clean up like a Chernobyl-sized poop with one, maybe two baby wipes. And I'm using like half a pack. Me, it would take the box. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I'll take Take the the whole box, box, So yeah. I don't know oh, yeah. it's a very special skill that women have with a baby wipe, but I think they could fix almost anything with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's amazing some of the things like that, that, you know, you just change the name on it and change what it is, and all of a sudden it's something different. It's like, you know, I teach uh, first aid and CPR, and for the uh, the team that's over here at Beast OCR, I'm actually working on a new, like a wilderness first aid, kind of a breakdown of the, the two-day one they use for Boy Scouts, yeah. but I've broken it down to like into like six to eight hours. So it's a little more for all of us that hike and do all that stuff. So I've been working on that program and I'm going to do a beta test on it here in December. But, 
oh one of the big God, things I, I always talk about. But one of the things I always bring up, and it always cracks me up, is people are like, I'm like, do you know why tampons were really invented? Yeah. And everyone looks at me like, yeah, but not the holes that they're used for now. I mean, they were for like bullet holes, you know, and everyone's like, really? And I'm like, think about it. It's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. They're for bullet holes. And then somebody's like, yeah, somebody's like, after a while, they're like, you know, this would work to plug something else. So, I mean, it was, it was, so it's like, yeah, there's a lot of things like that where you get the dude wipes that were, yeah. The dude wipes, yeah, and I, I wiped that pretty bad. I, got, I mean, I maybe probably got like a, God, probably like a second degree skin burn from just road rash, right? And my arm yep. was bleeding. Oh, road rash the worst. And, and I was like, damn it! And I had to go do some. So I grabbed, um, uh, you know, a, a maxi pad and taped up my arm. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, it absorbs blood and keeps it clean. Like, leave me alone. Yeah. You know, like these things are like, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. You know, wilderness instructing, outward bound, guiding, you're going to, everything you put in your backpack better have four or five different uses. And yeah. you got to, if you're going to carry it, it better be a useful tool. And, you know, pads. And, and I'll tell people all the time. Yeah, take tampons, take maxi pads. They're amazing for, I mean, you can go out and spend all the extra money for the hemostatic dressings. Those are going to help and they're going to be right. good. But really, a maxi pad sure. is better than a gauze pad. Oh, they absolutely are. <laughs> And they also help you yeah. clean up easier too, because they can close them back up in uh, themselves. And uh, the, the, the cost effectiveness on them is incredible. One of the things I want to do is get everybody that's out there with me that's one of the leaderships is certified. Like my wilderness first responder thing is certified as lapsed, and I want to get that back and going. You know, so uh, yeah. I want more of my people to be out there with it because when I have military guys or guys who do like OSHA construction type stuff, that you're talking about safety protocol, they're really helpful. We, we rescue squad people, mm-hmm. military guys have been trained in it, uh, firefighters, cops. We, we, we all speak a very similar language. And the, the thing that's so tricky yep. about what I'm doing is I ended up working construction for a while. I'm not the best construction guy. I've worked on high ropes courses, though, and Alpine Towers. And so when I'm setting up a, a, a belay system at an obstacle course race, and this is where the neat thing where all, it all comes together. It's not just knowing the right knot and the right harness to use and the right piece of equipment. That's a mountaineering thing. But because it's on a man-made structure, that's where that, that high ropes course stuff comes in. It's very useful. But it's because I've worked in construction some that I know where is the safest point to clip into. Because if you, if, so let's say you get somebody else to follow mm-hmm. your shoes, and I really eventually want to create a how-to do this and make a policy procedure safety manual as the baseline. Because I see a lot of good-intentioned people trying to help other wheelchair people. So if you're a good belayer and you know the right climbing knots to use and and you got the right system in place, but if you clip into the wrong part of the obstacle, it's going to fail. Yeah. The anchor point will fail. Your your system's only as good as the anchor point. Right. And if you're a rock climber, you're going to know about using bolts, and you're going to know about um, using natural protection of rocks and trees and things like that. And if you're a high ropes person, you'll know about things, but they're they're identified for you what to clip into. It's giant eye bolts that you know where to put the steel carabiner mm-hmm. into the steel to steel. You'll know how to do that. But unless you've worked construction, you don't know which point is reinforced enough. And I, I look at the A-frame, and they've got so many carabiners that are at the top of that thing. Um and I just imagine somebody clipping into one thing, oh, this has got it. This is structural. And it's not. It's just meant to maybe hold a no. couple hundred pounds per that square square foot, which is fine. Totally appropriate for that setting. 
but not okay to take the the wheelchair athlete, the paralyzed person, the person, the other people that are tied to them as well, and having a catastrophic failure. And so I, I think uh, we've come so far to let people know it's possible, but I think in order for it to continue to happen more adaptive athletes, there, there needs to be nerdy guys like you and I crunching those numbers and looking at that and setting mm-hmm. the policies and procedures to make it safer. You don't want your athletes well, more injured. No. And if you ever want to sit down and start working on that, I would be happy to work with you on that and get that because I mean, I, what you do, I mean, you're on the East coast, I'm over on the West coast. I would love to start seeing more of that over here on the West coast, you know, and get together, oh, yeah. a, you know, well, a, a so more cool heart than scars at West coast team. I would love to get a West coast team out there. I would love to come out there and do a training with you guys, get the, get the folks together, talk about, you know, Wendy, is wonderful. She's got her certificate. She's getting certified in her trauma-based CBT cognitive behavioral therapy trauma story narrative. Uh, she's got a lot of experience in that. You know, she's done this a bunch. But just to get people to be more open-minded and understand the language around suicidal ideation, mental health issues, autism, etc. Like, there's so many invisible scars. You know, Spartan loves to do it. If we could have West Coast version, I mean, that's what I would like to have. Sort of all over. I mean, when I when I dream really big, I think, boy, it sure would be neat to have um, teams across the country uh, like ours that yeah. are connecting to the local people and and building up those athletes and and doing these activities. But also, it's great to put a whole bunch of people together that are good at this stuff. That if there was a natural emergency in the area, we'd be ideal to help. Yeah, you know, I've no, got no. my gear going, and I agree. I've got friends in the rescue squad, and like. You know, if there's a high angle rescuer, they got to pull somebody out out of the woods. I'm your guy. <laughs> you know, like if you if you got someone yeah. stuck in a terrible position and you need to get them out of Linville Gorge, like near us, you know, we've got the know how and and the experience with it. Since you're a rescue geek, here's a statistic that'll just blow your mind. Our first tough mutter, we had an adaptive piece of like a mountain bike lay down on your stomach, you pedal. For uh, Justin Fall, mm-hmm. he's a quad, and it got really uncomfortable, and it didn't make sense, and he couldn't maintain his body. And so the night before the ra- or two nights before the race, I'm like, I'm taking a shower, and I get hit by either the muse, the Holy Spirit, or a miracle, or just my old memory. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, uh, Wendy, like, call Chris Green. He's a contractor friend of mine. I go, we need two two by fours. They need to be eight feet long, and they need to be, you know, the st- a strong version of them. They need to be the uh, the, the, the weather treated. I need a hole every six inches. I need one spray painted red, one spray painted black, and I need leather straps for handles. And I need it uh, the race in a day. <laughs> it was like weird phone call from the shower, but he's like, "I'll do it." So I ended up getting paracord yeah, and running through with it and improvising a, a litter, and we put um, uh, camping pads on top of it. And when that bike thing began to fail, eight of us on the team carried him. Seven of those 10 miles. Wow. In rescue world, you need 20 people per mile, 20 fresh per mile. I don't know if that's the same number, but it used to be. That used to be the standard, was you would need about mm. 20 fresh people per mile to rotate out if you're on a, on a, on a litter to carry yeah. out of the woods safely. And while we were doing wow. this thing and going through that, that tough mudder and that small team of us, of us just, you know, three people on each side, six, and then two other people calling the gear, carrying the gear, and then rotating out and going and rotating out and going. And one person was pushing the bike thing that he could be on occasionally. And I was thinking, this isn't really possible. We really are going beyond what you know, we should be broken down. But yeah, 
the feeling that he had in his body and the other people that saw us and around it lifted us up. And I'm thinking, you know, with just a little bit more training and a little bit better gear, we could really do almost anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's true. With just a little bit of training and more gear, I mean, I think we could all do just about anything. And I mean, that's one thing, like I said, I'd love to get together with you. And it sounds like you'd be able to help me on the, the first aid program I'm building for, you know, the beast, we're yeah. going to call it beast aid, but it's going to be, but the whole idea of it is, is we had, you know, one of our guys in our, our team that was out hiking with a bunch of other guys one day and they were five or six miles in and he stepped wrong on a rock and shattered his ankle. And it's like, now how do you get him you're five or six right. miles into a hike up in the middle of the mountains. How do you get him back safely? And right. it's like, luckily he was with people that knew it, but I mean, that's kind of what the whole program that I'm building. It's like, not just for the OCR, like, you know, cause in OCR, you're going to have right. paramedics there. You're going to have people quickly, but if you're out hiking, it could be two or three hours of trying to get that person out or more, oh, yeah. depending on how far deep you are. That are too difficult to get to get the medical card in. You'd have to actually use. Um, uh, you'd have to carry them out by using the Stokes litter. I oh mean, yeah. Self rescue. Have you ever been to Hawaii? Hawaii? I want to. I there's parts in Hawaii now. and the and the Hawaii beast. There are definitely parts and when you go because there's a spot you go up and over one of the hills. There's a lot more hills in Hawaii than you would think. When you go up and over one of the hills, when you're in that backcountry part, it would be. I mean, it would be a while to get somebody in or out of there, you know. So, I mean, I could see where, you know, that would be a place where you need a litter to try and really kind of get the person out of there because you're not going to get, you know, those those hills, they're not going to get a vehicle up there. So you're going to have to get them down. Well, we use a belly yak. I used to use a backboard. Well, first I use I use an improvised litter that I made myself, which was terrible. And then we moved on to a yellow backboard, which was cool, but it was traumatizing to our wheelchair athletes because it reminded them of their accident. And then we came yeah. across the, uh, the belly yak, which is a, 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 a kayak you lay on your belly to, like, surf swim it. And it's perfect because mm-hmm. you can drag it to the mud. You can use it as a backboard. Uh, you can use it to float them through things. It creates more independence. And people are saying, well, I don't know why. These other teams, they don't use those things for the mud. I go, just slow down. I don't make this because they don't know based on what other people are doing. So, first of all, can you just acknowledge that in the mud that you've ever slipped or slid, they're like, well, yeah, I've slipped or slid a little bit. I'm like, okay. So you with a stable spine in the mud are, are not a stable platform. And multiple people all on the same obstacle can become more unstable. Well, yeah. So you have somebody with a spine injured and has pins and rods in it, and one big guy like me falling on top of them could just completely rupture or ruin their whole alignment. And so we use the belly act for those muddy mile things, not because we don't want our athlete to get too muddy or not because we want to take away the power from them, because I want something that's big enough that wraps around their body that their whole life doesn't get ruined because somebody slips and falls on them in the mud. And how many times have you slipped yeah. and falls in the mud doing those things? So wh- why do we think that we can somehow be better than physics? Oh, you know, I'm physics. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I overcome physics. <laughs> Shut up. You don't <laughs> overcome physics. Anybody could slip and land on this person. And, yeah. and so they're like, well, that, that might be... Might not make it as much fun, or it's a pain in the butt to carry the thing. Like, but that belly act has saved our butt. And again, thank God, we've had no significant injuries, none. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there might be more hardcore military-looking badass ways of doing things. But I want this charity to to be the the deal that if somebody gets hurt, and I, and it's only a matter of time before they do, and they look across this for Spartan races and Tough Mudders 
and they're going to look, and I, I, and I want our record to show, we are following a higher standard, and we have safer results. Doesn't yeah. mean that we're perfect, doesn't mean that it couldn't happen, but I'm going to do everything that I know how to do to make sure that my adaptive athlete finishes with the same level of functioning as they started. And that's all you can do. I mean, for someone, you know, like I said, my bet, you know, I'm a, I'm in construction safety right now. I'm actually going back to school for my occupational safety and health degree. But that's one of the big things that we learn is it's like, you can't make everything 100% safe. All you can do is look at it and say, okay, here are the risk factors. This is what I'm going to do to reduce the risk factors, but the risk factors are always still there. So, I mean, for you to look at it and say, okay, I'm going to reduce the risk factors for my athletes as much as I can, but we're still going to go for it. There's risk factors for all of us to go do this. So, I mean, yeah, Absolutely. make it as safe as you can and do it. Right. Well, you know, I've gotten into an argument with a couple of my wheelchair athletes over the time where we were in a situation where they wanted to do the rope climb. They're like, hey, look, I'm really strong and I can do the rope climb. I'm like, uh, yeah, you are. But one, and why do it back in my CrossFit gym? But yeah, generally you don't go six or seven miles wheeling beforehand. You're generally not cold or wet or hot and really super sweaty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really not a rope that's it's that high. So, yeah, you could get up it, but if you were to fall, you're screwed. And so they're like, well, yeah, I don't mind using the waist harness. They go, well, a, a, a waist harness with us running a rope over the top of the rope climb and, and belaying you isn't good enough because the standard in the, uh, the American Mountain Guide Association is if a climber is very skinny or is a child or it's very heavy, you need to have a chest harness or a full body harness so in case they flip, mm-hmm. they don't flip upside down and fall out of the harness. That's just the standard thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I got I got into some conflict with some people. I think, well, they're saying, well, you know, other people don't do that. But, well, other people's legs have an atrophied and their center of balance is different. You know, I, I, I became mm-hmm. an ice climber without my fingertips. That's really challenging and dangerous to do for the cold. So I, I and I sometimes I've heard people say, well, you're making it too easy or you're taking away their independence. And I just don't be like, fuck you. I'm an ice climber without any fingertips. Let's get your normal, able-bodied self. Let me give you the gear, and I want you to go climb that ice space over there. And then check back in with me. <laughs> the idea. Yeah. And then what we'll do is after you take it up once, we'll, we'll tear your fingertips off. We'll give you a week or two. Send you back out again. See how it works out for you. <laughs> I'm like, come on. I don't want to limit anybody's yeah. experience. I just want to be smart about it. Okay, and, and that's it. Now it's like, yeah, now we're using a full-body uh, construction harness, and they can buckle in and out of. It's better, and we're all on the same page. But I think there needs to be this kind of learning across the board. Like, you've you got to use the right gear, and you have to think about the worst-case scenario, and you have to train and practice with it so that, you know, Erica gets to come back out and race again. And we put yeah. further and got her sicker. We could have gotten her to the place that she could have lost more functioning and become so ill that she mm-hmm. could have either died or just be so burnt from the experience she never wants to race again. Instead, she's calling me like, oh, you're meeting with those guys. They're awesome. What a great podcast. And we're racing in two weeks. You remember that? I'm like, yes, I know. We're racing in two weeks. I'm glad to hear <laughs> wanting to go again rather than like, F that. I never want to go again. So. It's, yeah. it's, there has and that's what's amazing. It's, it is amazing. Oh, there it's got to be the maturity to keep on going and doing it in a way that is safe and there's the adventure. But like you said, you can never remove all the factors of risk. Otherwise, what's no. the point of doing it? Exactly. And it's one of those things. I mean, as you get older, and I, I'm, you know, 
I'm getting up there in age two. I'm I'm going to be 42 here shortly. Actually, by the time this airs, I probably will be 42. But <laughs> um, <laughs> that much editing you have to do. It's, well, it's not the editing. It's just, you know, my birthday's on Monday, so yeah, so it's less than a week away. But uh, one of the things that I've talked about a lot of times is where. Thank you. I, I've had major injuries that could have been avoided if I wasn't, you know, didn't pull the whole alpha male attitude of I'm fine. It'll be fine. You know, I blew yeah. my knee and did major damage to my knee because I popped my knee and tore something while I was running a half marathon. And then two weeks later did another one because yeah. I was like, it's fine. I'll be fine. And about halfway through that second half marathon, it, my knee completely gave out. And then I'm like, I'm, and I still at that point was still looking at my running partner like, I'm fine, I'm good. And I finished and ran yeah. six miles on a knee where I had torn, you know, uh, what, uh, tore my ACL. I'd already had it, I had yeah. a torn ACL and ran another six miles. So by the time I finished, I mean, it was, my knee was twice the size it should have been. I could barely put weight on it. And my doctor's looking at me going, if you would have stopped at the original injury, you probably would have had about two months of just relaxing and whatever. And, but then she's like, but now because you pushed it, you're out like a year, maybe two. And yeah. I'm like, Oh, oops. You know, and that's kind of where you talk about that maturity of deciding, Oh, Hey, you know, Erica, could we push her through this? Probably. Would it be healthy right. for her? Probably not. But, you know, no. so it's, it's making that mature choice to say, hmm, I'm going to not finish this one so that I can finish the next one, you know. Yeah. And that's where it is. You know, I'm supposed to do a marathon on Sunday, and I tweaked my leg last weekend training for it. And I'm in my mind, I'm still debating whether or not I just want to do the half because I'm, I'm worried that I did enough damage to my leg that a full is going to do, do more damage. So it's kind of, you know, I'm at that age where I'm finally thinking about that rather than just going, hey, yeah, let's go for it, you know, and yeah. doing enough damage that I can't do anything else. So, yeah. And it's hard no. to do, and you have to face your own mortality in this. Like, so what am I going to do when I'm older and still enjoy the beauty of the woods because it's healing for us? That community I really enjoy. Yep. At some point, I may not be able to lead these trips. They're a lot like an expedition. Uh, but maybe what I'll be doing is flying out there and seeing people like you guys and, and training people and, and encouraging yep. them and equipping them to get it out there and, and to really uh, have a shared vision. And that's that's the idea yep. here is that we say to people, do you have when we night and dame people? We say, do you have more faith than fear? We're, the fear is out there. We're not saying you have it to is. be perfect in any way, shape, or form. Just just on a daily basis within your heart, to struggle to have just a little bit more faith than the fear. Uh, do you have more love than hate? A little bit more love than hate. There's a lot of resentment and struggles we carry around us in darkness that we all deal with. But the country right now is so divided over things. They're just mind-blowing, and you can't even, like, speak facts to people anymore without somebody getting offended or upset or hurt or jumping all over the place. And you're going like, oh, my God, what are we doing to our nation? What are we doing yeah. to ourselves that anything that seems like, oh, that idea is a little bit different than me, that makes me upset, and now you're, you're opposite of me, so therefore I have to be against you and divide us. It. And it, it's just such a lie that there, there needs is. to be more love than hate. There has to be more hope than despair. And that's so that ultimately that culmination of that is more heart than scars. I mean, I'm friends with people of different sexual orientations, different religions, different theological constructs, different uh, um, 
all sorts of differences in politics. And in the mud, we're all the same. We're yeah. just human beings struggling through, yeah. and that was the beauty of finishing the beast out in the dark. You know, Eric and got home safely. I was with my students from Black Mountain Academy, and we're going through, and I see all these headlights in the woods. And you think of that idea like, you know, sh- you know, shine your light before men. Like there's this, this headlamps representing yep. that, that the light and the soul of these people through the dark, through the rain, and finishing, snaking through the trails up and down the switchbacks. And I just get, get overwhelmed by the beauty of it. it. There's so much beauty. And that anybody yeah. would give their, their, their last bit of pickle juice, their last bit of vinegar, their last bit of, you know, snack to help them up or would, you know, shoulder them or here, take my headlamp or there's a glow stick or do you need my walking? I've just seen it time and time again of people lifting strangers up in the dark, in the cold and embracing one another uh, and helping each other through. And that's the good stuff right there. No, it is. It really reminds me. I'm not, you know, and I'll tell everyone, I'm not a very religious person, never have been. But I grew up in a a religious family. My my whole family is Mormon. And there was always yeah. one scripture that has stuck in my head my entire life. And I think it's Matthew 15, something like that. But it's, you know, the, you just basically mentioned it, you know, uh, a man doesn't put a candle on a candlestick or under a bushel, but onto a candlestick so that it gives light under the, all the house. Um, neither does he. Uh, I can't remember the whole thing, but basically saying, you know, glorify his good works and everything else. I mean, put your, let your light shine, yeah, you know, light and let it shine. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's it. Let your light shine so everyone can see it. Bob Marley saying that whole idea of light up the darkness. And this was after he was shot. He was there was a fascination. He performed with a bullet in his body, singing that song to let the dark, let the terrorists with the darkness know. And let me tell you how. And my soul was like blown away that here I was in Saudi Arabia, where Mecca is, where a lot of misguided ideas around terrorism or whatever, the, the bombing that took place. Yep. And here I am, an American coming over to talk about working with kids with disabilities. And they're like, you started this because of the Boston bombing? And so instead of going away from, I mean, it was the, it was the uh, a group of Muslims, for the most part, who believed in the message that I was doing and saw the spiritual truth in it that flew me over there to give the talk. And it just absolutely blew me away. Like, a lot of my prejudices and my fears and my misconceptions completely blown away. We are human yep. beings on this spectacular, fragile planet. We have to love one another and forgive one another and rise above it. Yes. Um, all these divisionary things are for are a handful of people. When people talk about how dangerous heroin is or how dangerous crack is, heroin and crack yep. are light little tasty treats. They're, they're little kid goldfishes compared to power. Yes. Power is the most corruptive, corrosive, destroying, mm-hmm. addictive thing that there is. And those that have the power will do anything to hold on to it, and they will separate the rest of us that don't have it out and divide us against each other so that they continue to stay more isolated and protected, and, the, 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 we, and there's less. And, and at the stake of the world, I mean, a, a cocaine addict might snort their kid's college fund. A power addict yes. might destroy the Constitution of the United States of America. It's yeah. like, come on! You know, like... So, oh, yeah. uh, and that's, it's like, <laughs> oh, and power is a, definitely a, 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 a country disease. It's one of those things. It's a yeah. lot of people divided right now in our country. And what it comes down to is, I mean, I don't care which party you follow. It comes down to the corruption of power. I'm one of those. I would rather 
Now, I, I feel like in a lot of ways we are kindred spirits and we really need to like get together and work on some things, but yeah. <laughs> Um, Absolutely. Like for me, being a, a safety professional, I was I was the operations manager. I ran a demolition company for okay. years, and it got to a point for me I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't want yeah. the power. My problem was that I looked at it where everyone's like, hey, I get to decide who gets to pay their bills next week. But my brain looked at it the other way going, I get to decide who doesn't get to pay their bills next week, and I don't like it. That's right. You yeah, know, and it, that's it, what it, hurt. It, it was so hard. Yeah, it's so hard to sit that's there and say, oh, yeah, you can't, you can't work next week because he needs to work. So sorry about your bills. Sorry about your luck. Right. That wasn't me. That wasn't my personality. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, I can't be that guy. It was tearing me apart inside and destroying my soul. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, there's no other way to say it. And finally, I'm like, no, no, that's exactly I just want to be the safety guy. So, right. I want to train people. Yeah. I, I want to lift people up. You know, at one yeah. point, I had to have a what the fuck moment with my team because Erica wanted to slide down a section of the trail. And, and, and for that second, it looked like a fun idea. Seeing another girl was really enthusiastic yeah. and sliding down the hill. Now, the problem was she was sliding down the hill was there was 500 people behind her because we were near the start. The, 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 the mud was sloughing off, as we're saying. It, it went from being a yep. two-feet slide to 75 to a 100-foot slide with 500 people barreling down behind her, not knowing that she was injured and just, like, expecting, like, hey, move, get out of my way. And I'm like, oh, my God. You can't just, like, pull her out yeah. of that so she doesn't get run over. You know, but I had to be the difficult one to say, that's not okay. We have the belly act for a reason. We're going to, we're going to use the equipment yep. correctly. You know, this is how we're going to do it. You can't. I mean, sometimes you have to step in and and be the bad guy. But I don't mind being the tough guy. But I don't want the power to be in a way that uh, makes me think that I'm more than what I am. I yeah. I'm. I just try to be a useful tool. I, I I try to listen to the Holy Spirit, and I see that Holy Spirit goes throughout all religions. There, the, 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 mm-hmm. the higher angels in ourselves. I'm trying to hear that still small voice. And try to be a beating for it. Even though I am broken, sinful, angry. I mean, I got all of it. I got all the issues. I mean, I, I oh, yeah. am, uh, I'm, I'm a But I try, especially when it's about, when I'm trusted to the safety of other people, to really listen to the higher angels of things. To listen to reason. I always thought if you heard, be quiet, I'm trying to listen to reason. I mean, I think in my mind, I'm like, trying to listen <laughs> it makes to sense I really am. And then it's so funny. People are looking like a, like I'm the big buddy daddy. Like, oh, dad's upset again on the course. I'm like, how did I become yeah. safety dad? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I know that feeling. I'm the same way. How did I become the safety like dad? I'm... I, I, I broke Trust me, I'm that guy. I'm thinking all the time. I'm like, I'm the fun uncle. How did I become the safety dad? But yeah, you know, know so I'm the fun uncle. Fun uncle. Yeah, that's it. There you go. But, but you know, I wasn't going to go back and play again. And I've broken enough yeah, bones. Exactly. My God, I was showing off when I lost my fingertips, for God's sake. That's why they're gone, is because there wasn't supervision and I was being an idiot. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, yeah. That's a part of it. Well, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm excited to, uh, I think we a couple of things out of this is figure out how to get me to fly out there. Maybe we can, you know, do some sort of funding yeah. or whatever to get me to go and to meet and to, and to start working on some training, some cross-pollination and, because I want the idea more of these cars to be a universal concept. I don't want it to be like, oh, well, I'm team this or I'm team that. I'm like, no, 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 no. No. It's fun for doing those things. 
it doesn't hurt to say somebody has more heart than scars or saying you have more heart than no. scars. It's, it's, it's not about is it Team 4.0 or is it Southern Spartans or is it Western Spartans or is it, you know, these mutters or these groups. I mean, those are all great things. But we have this tendency there. to divide rather than to unite. If you're yeah. a veteran, come in with us. If you're not a veteran, whatever. If you're a veteran that got injured in the war, fine. I got some of those guys. If you're a veteran that got injured on a motorcycle, I got a lot of those guys. If you're a civilian, if you're, you know, you're missing things or your heart's just broken, you're one of us. Let's get in the mud together. Let's lift each other up and let's stay connected in the meantime through fellowship, connection, and, and, and higher purpose on a regular basis. That, that's where the healing comes. We've we got to work to heal each other on and off course. The, yes. the Spartan race is the easiest part of my time. It's all the time beforehand, trying to get the gas money, get there, the hotel rooms, trying to replace the gear that I need to get, make sure that, like we're, like we're doing a fundraiser now to try to, on a GoFundMe, to get a new wheelchair. We've been using the same wheelchair. If I had more wheelchairs, I could take more people. Uh, yeah. So that's one thing your listeners could do to help us is we'll we'll have it up on the More Heart and Scars Facebook page. We'll have the, the GoFundMe. And we'll make sure to make a link to that. Yeah. And so people like We'll share that link. Because now... I, I don't have the ability to pay money for Facebook to advertise things. I think I've probably spent a hundred dollars in the last seven years on Facebook advertising, um, and that and they generally won't show your stuff unless you're paying for it. So it's ironic. It's like I want to be away from the cult of personality and more into the principles. So when I try to put the principle ideas that are not about me on Facebook through the charity, it gets five to ten likes. On my personal thing that has like five thousand people following me. I put a thing of me making a stupid remark or a, a cheesy face thing, and it gets, you know, a, you know, a couple hundred likes. And it's yeah. like, dang it, I, I, if people just go to the Facebook page and, and select it, you have to select it to follow it and to put it up, come to your first and your stuff. People commenting on it and liking it gets it to people who need to see it. Because I get letters and phone calls from people that were had a gun in their hand because they were paralyzed or lost a limb or lost a child, and they were going to end their life, and they searched for a few key words, and up we came. And they saw mm-hmm. those images, and they wrote me instead. And I don't know how to overcome the corporate greed that makes it difficult to get those beautiful images out there. I, I think if something is really good and beautiful, it shouldn't have to be advertised in that way. If it's life-saving stuff and, and real beauty, then, like, these images of Erica might get 300 likes, but it, it should get 300,000. It should get you know, a million people to be following it instead of 10, we're stuck in this spot of only 10,000 people following us because we can't advertise it. We can't get enough people to, to know it. If they knew it or understood it, then they could, they could join in and start, you know, joining in with the star of the race and people yell more heart and they come back with then scars. Like it's a battle cry. It's a battle cry. That even though you're struggling and you're hurting, you're a part of something bigger than yourselves and you're going to be loved. We might not like you all the way. <laughs> you might smell funny. You might yeah. be annoying. You might be a pain yes. But damn it, I'm going to love you, and I would rather deal with your shit than bury you. I'd rather get a late-night call from you than having to see you find out that you're gone. There's so many people that we've lost. Yes. And I agree. We, we need a, a unifying battle cry, all of us, whether it's Oscar Mike. They do awesome stuff. And, you know, Wounded Warriors, they got a little off track for a while. They're getting back on point again. You know, there's... You know, uh, with Team Rubicon, they do good stuff. Like, every group has good and bad in it. And nobody's doing it perfectly. But we get so minutia-focused on what's missing or what's wrong. 
and then we gossip and backstab. And if there is a devil, it is in that detail of how we divide and, and find fault. People that aren't actually getting off the couch and doing something are sitting there behind their keyboard and saying stupid things to people. And it's, it's a cancer. Yeah. The trolling remarks, very few of the trolling remarks that I've received would ever, would ever happen to my face, you know? I'm only 5'10", no. but I, you know, I, I look like a damn Viking. You know, I'm like 230 pounds, and I can still do door jam pull-ups. Very few people say anything other than hello and third of you to my face. But in the, in the darkness of the web, oh, yeah. all of just especially if you're shining your light, if you're being brave enough to put your light up on, on, you know, on the hill or on, on the wall or on the candlestick, if you're, if you're trying to shine your light, the darkness will come in and say, who do you think you are? You know, do you know enough? Are you good enough? Like, oh, there's so much attacking that just wants to snuff your spirit. And that's why we need each other. I need, I need the people listening. I'm not some amazing human being. I need the people that are listening. How many that ever there to be, to, you know, to hope for me, to pray for me, to send me some encouragement because I can't do it alone. I can't carry these burdens. No, none of us can. We need each other. We do. When, I, when I'm going to races now, it, it, my charity's grown enough now that I'll run into people wearing a Morehart scar shirt and they have no idea who I am. <laughs> I think that's your, That's lovely. I want that to happen 100,000 times over. I would, I would love that idea go so far beyond me and my story that somebody I just see you know, run into people that have got the shirt on because it, it means something to them. Like uh, Michelle from Lionheart. We saw her a couple, two years ago. She saw uh, a War Heart of Stars t-shirt. She got it from somebody. She was wearing it. She was stage four uh, cirrhosis. Uh, was pretty, thought she was pretty much done. Decided to volunteer to Spartan race with her son. Thought this might be her last activity. She sees us coming around the corner mm-hmm. with uh, a young lady on, on crutches, another young lady in a wheelchair. Actually, it was Mark. Mark was in a wheelchair. Um, and it's some of her kids that have some different needs, different uh, diverse needs and in, in intellectual struggles, whatever. So there's all different types of kids with us. And so she sees the flag, she sees all the same shirts, she sees the different struggles, she sees my service dog jump over the wall, and she just grabs me and hugs me, and crying, saying, uh, the words more hearts and scars is saved, saving me at the end of my life here. I'm, I'm going to live braver because of it. I had no idea who you guys or what you were. And I'm like, oh my God, you got to get in contact with well, she's lived the past two years now. She's doing great, and she started a charity for kids called Lionheart for kids with disabilities to race in Tennessee. Oh, that's awesome. And she was, when Erica was too cold to race the second day, we're at the starting area, and there she is, and she's like, can we join you? And so Lionheart and their kids are racing with more hearts and scars. I thought, this is, what a beautiful divine appointment. I couldn't have scheduled that. I couldn't have planned that. I couldn't have we're seeing that, but if you just keep doing the right thing consistently and don't give up, that's when the miracles happen. Exactly, and that's what's amazing is I mean you don't give up; you just keep going. Yeah, and, yeah. Well, I, you know, I need I need other people to do it because I, I can't I can't do it on my own. And I would love nothing more to fly out there and hang out with you and geek out over which harness to use when, when to use a butterfly knot opposed to a, uh, an eight on the bite or a double eight on the bite and. Way to use triple fisherman as opposed to a double fisherman. <laughs> you know, I would just, you and I would just, oh, yeah. we would drive people crazy. We would clear the room. <laughs> you know, like, oh, we would. Oh. <laughs> but we'd be having a blast the whole time. 
Oh, so, my God. that's what matters. Yeah. That's what matters. So, yeah, so skills exchanges <laughs> and encouraging each other and spreading this idea is, is really the hope. I mean, I'm so thrilled that Michelle started Lionheart and that it's growing and they're helping people. They were even to get a building. You know, I, I cannot, I haven't paid off her storage building for a wheelchair yet, and she managed to open an entire gymnasium. <laughs> I'm like, how did you do this? You know, there's clearly some people have skill sets that I don't have, but uh, it's coming And together. that's just it. And that's what's, you know, the, the sign of a great, a great group is when you have different skill sets come together to make everything work. You know, you know, when you decide that, Hey, I can't do all this on my own. I need other people. I need help, you know? Yeah. And that's the key. Absolutely. We we need each other. And uh, I I look forward to uh, uh, staying connected with you. So um, just, you know, message me after we're done with this. We'll give us extra information and and let's let's Mm -hmm. look at the year for 2020 to figure out how to do something. You got it. Definitely. So either try and get you out here or maybe try and get me out there. So we'll figure something out. So right on. All right. Well, we've been, we've been going a while, so we should probably wrap this up and, and I I love everything we've talked about. You're amazing. And I definitely, I, I would like to have you on again soon. You know, and talk about everything a little bit more. So, and yeah, we'll definitely be, I'll reach out to you after we're done recording here and we'll talk about, you know, what we can do to, you know, hook up, you know, soon and work on, you know, trying to expand you guys out here to the West Coast. So I would love that. I would love to see the shirts and stickers going everywhere because, you know, that for Michelle, that T-shirt alone, just the words alone got her right where she needed to be and that's what i want and that that's the beauty of uh of a battle cry that can be uniting so please yeah. people that are listening to just go like the page like the instagram and then share pictures yeah it's great to show funny cat videos and these silly memes and all that but you know take it take a moment and share you can go back through there's there's seven years of this almost you could just spin yeah. through randomly and find an old facebook story of us doing helping an athlete through and, and like it and sharing and commenting on it, that momentum, because you never know who might see that in your feed that really needs that. It yeah. is, it's truly it's, it's sharing the good news, and it's so necessary. There's so much bad news in division, you actually have to fight to share the good news, and it's going to come from the grassroots. You do. It's not going to come any other way. So that's one way you no, can be a real support warrior is to find the good news that we've done and share it and comment and like and, and you know what I'm the person that sees it if you're liking or commenting or sharing it and you do it enough and I and those those top fans come up I'm so grateful for the people that are seeing that and sharing it you have no idea how much that interaction keeps me fueled on days that I'm thinking I'm just going to hang my head down and give up um, oh no I get it interaction community helps out tremendously so I'm paying attention oh, yeah. I'll, I'll message you back <laughs> you know it's uh I get it. I've wanted to quit this podcast four or five times, and then all of a sudden I'll see a post from somebody or something where one of the episodes helped them with something, or they send me a message saying, hey, you know, I I was afraid to do this, and then I heard your episode with so-and-so, and it just it changed my whole perspective, and I'm like, okay, I guess I need to keep doing this. <laughs> so, That's I mean, right. it's, yeah. That's right. It's, it's a labor of love. It's... <laughs> Yeah, we we don't do this for the money or the prestige, people. We do it because we love it. So, I like because if we did it for the money and the prestige, 
<laughs> yeah, if we didn't put the money in the prestige, we would have quit a long time ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. It's for the love of the knot. Thank you for me. It's all about Wintertime yep. Butterfly. Hey, I really enjoyed talking to you. We're going to talk afterwards, and uh, yep. we can geek out over, uh, you know, all kinds of safety stuff. It's a real blessing, you know. You, you may not be a real religious guy, but I can tell you that uh, the God of the universe works in mysterious ways, and I don't think it's an accident at all that you and I are into each other's lives. So I, I look forward to no, seeing No, I don't think so either. So that's what we'll do. All right. Thank you, sir. Perfect. We'll talk soon. Yep. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the BeastNet Podcast. If you haven't done it yet, find us on Facebook. Like and share the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. All these things will help to expand the show in the future. This show is brought to you by James Safety Services in partnership with Beast OCR. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you like to hear. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or at beastocr.com.